Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. We're glad you've joined us to listen to a message from our pastor, Ashley Ellison. We believe God's Word is powerful and that it can be applied to our lives so that we may live victoriously. Let's join Pastor Ashley now as he shares the Word with us. Thank you for being in church today. I, I'm excited about the word. I, I don't know if I, I never want to get up here and not be excited. I, I want to be excited about what God is doing in the hearts and lives of His people, and I want to equip. I mean, that's just one of the one of my biggest exciting things that I think about is that what I have every time I'm not getting up here just trying to fill time. What, what we're trying to do is we're trying to equip. Because in the world we live in, we need equipped. As Christian people, we need equipped to live the life that God has called us to live. And so today, I'm going to, I'll just give you my title right off off the front. It's called Trust. Now, I want to talk about this because as I've been thinking about what I've experienced in what I will call my short life. Some of you will say it's a long life if you're young. If you're older than me, you'll think, yeah, he's pretty, it's a short life. But, but here's the thing. In the, the time that I have been here, I have watched this word called trust really start to deflate in our world. We don't trust anybody. We don't trust the government. We don't trust our employer. We, we don't even trust our spouse. We, we have lost trust. Now, I, I thought about this, and I thought, why have we lost trust? Because when I was younger, I just freely trusted. Yeah, yeah, wow. I just, I, it was just a product of who I was. Maybe my mom and dad said, you're going to trust everybody because they were trustworthy. I don't know, but I just freely gave trust. Now, when I, when I studied history, I recognized that our Founding fathers moved to the United States or came to the United States, came before it was united, to escape tyranny. Now, they they came over here with a trust, not in government, not in people, but a trust in God. And they founded this country based on a trust in God because nothing else worked for them. They worked on establishing trust with people only because they trusted in God. See, there was a trust in God, therefore, they started recognizing that the more they were able to influence people in the things of God, they could trust them. Are are you following me? Now, fast forward a couple hundred years into our government, and and I'm not here just to talk about government, but I mean, it's what we deal with here in the United States. I'm speaking to people who live in the United States. I wouldn't preach this message as much in a foreign country, but right here, I'm talking to Americans. And we have, for a couple hundred years, learned to trust. We really have, and it all started with our forefathers setting up. You don't take your car to a mechanic unless you trust that mechanic. But I have watched, there, it didn't matter which doctor when I was younger we'd go to, we, they were a doctor, so you trusted them. Yeah. Now I'm like, okay, I, I don't know that I trust this doctor. Come on, I've, I've watched this, and maybe it's just my age, or maybe it's something that I've just watched in the last 40 to 50 years decline. We don't have a trust. Yeah. 
I mean, as human beings in the natural, and I won't just say human beings, but as Americans, we've put our trust in doctors to diagnose us, to tell us what's going on. We've put our trust in pilots. When you get on a plane, you don't even know this dude. Or maybe he's not a dude. Maybe he's a dudette. But you don't know him. And so you get on a plane and you trust them. It's just a free given trust. I know people that won't fly because they don't trust anybody and I've never met the pilot. I don't trust them. Teachers. Come on for years. We just, we knew that the teacher's heart was to educate our kids and we understand as Christian people that the fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. So we just trusted that our teachers were going to impart. We've got a lot of people still trusting teachers. Well, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. What I'm telling you is, do you have the right placement of your trust? Institutions. For years, I trusted the postal department. I mean, I know it was blind, but I trusted them to deliver the mail that I would put in there. Now we trust Amazon way more. But we put, we put trust in institutions. We put trust in the banks. But we've just, in the last few months, got a couple of letters come to this property that say something about you might check and make sure you have some security, some theft security, some fraud security, because we have been breached, and your information may have been get. Well, aren't I supposed to trust them? They just told me that, hey, we've been breached. We don't know if you can trust us, so trust these people, that these people over here, these fraudulent people, if you'll just lifelock, that's what you need, and if you'll put your trust in lifelock, it'll trust you from who's trying to steal you from the bank who you used to trust. And we've got people trying to just, we're trying to establish that you can trust us. Are, are you? We've done this for years and longer I live. Trust in anything that comes as priority before God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But I, I'm just telling you, we've come into it innocently. I didn't want to not trust my doctor. I didn't want to not trust the postal service. I didn't want to not trust the bank. I mean, they have a, an insurance level that you're insured up to this amount. Well, who's the insurance? The government. Oh, well, let's trust them. I mean, before long, you're sitting here thinking, where do I go? I can't trust anybody. I think I'll go to church. And then you find that you can't even trust people in church. Oh, oh pastor, you shouldn't have went there. Yep, that's where I went. Because they're going to do something that you don't think they should have done. They're going to call out something you don't think they should have called out. They, they're going to operate. They're going to have a system that you didn't agree with that system because this is the way we used to do it, and this is the way we should do it. And then one thing after another, before long, I can't trust anybody. I'm just going to go to a deserted island and live by myself. Now, I heard about a guy who did that. They found him. They found this guy on this deserted island, and he built a whole little city. It's just him. And he, he, they were looking at it and they said, you have two churches. So what do you have two churches for? He said, well, that church is where I used to go and this is the one I go to now. <laughs> Couldn't trust the people over here. <laughs> I want to ask you today, what about God? 
Can you trust him? And I think it's a ploy. It's a tool of the enemy. And all he's trying to do is to ruin, ruin your trust in everybody else so that you don't even have trust in him. Wow. I, don't even, I, I can't even trust God because he's done all of, he's put all these people and now I, I can't trust them so I can't trust him. Let me just tell you, it's wrong theology. I can't trust them so I can't trust him is wrong. You trust him, therefore, there will be people that he places in your life that you can trust. There will be institutions placed in your life that you can trust. But none of that comes until you have a trust in God. And the founding fathers of our country recognized that. It had to be a trust in God to then develop a trust in people. It had to be that way. That's just the way it is. And so I ask today, can we learn to trust? Can we, can we trust? I, I, I'm just, if we lose the ability to trust, where are you going to go? Yeah. A deserted island. In God we trust was adopted as the official motto of the United States in 1956. In God we trust. That phrase has appeared on U.S. coins since 1864. It's been a paper currency since 1957. The, origin, uh, the origination of this phrase is derived from the Bible. In God we trust. How do you get that? In God we trust. Well, Psalms 20, verse 7. It's all over Psalms. But, but I just point, pointed out three of them here. Some nations boast of their chariots and horses but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. See, we put God in first place. We put God in first place. And we boast in who we trust. We boast in, we lift up, we elevate, we put in a place of honor those we trust. Psalms 56, verse 1. Oh God, have mercy on me. For people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me. And many are boldly attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Come on, what can anything in life, what can happen to you when your trust is in God and not them? Nothing. Because I trust God for the outcome. Psalm 62 verse 5. Let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. The star-spangled banner. I know that when you sing that, you only sing the first part of it. But in the final stanza, it's written by Francis Scott Key and says, and this be our motto, in God we still trust. In God is our trust. In God, trust has been and always will be a major issue of human existence. It's a major issue. And, and I, I've got to dive into it today. Trust means believe in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of now, that's the verb part of it. The noun part means a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of someone or something. So it can be a person or it can be an institution, right? I mean, it can be something or it can be something just tangible that you can put your hands on. You all trusted those chairs. 
I, I have sat, I've actually been right up here, and in this very service, not right here where it was in the lower building, I watched somebody sit in a chair they trusted and they shouldn't have because it hit the ground. We're like, ah, are they okay? Is our insurance paid because we got to trust? I, I just, you don't even recognize all that you put your trust in. You just don't even think about it. You, you trust your car's going to start until it doesn't. But we just put trust in things. And see, when we're saved, there's a freedom to put a faith, a trust in a holy God that will give us direction. It'll give us blessing. It'll give us hope. It'll give us a future. It'll give us an attitude adjustment. And, and, and so many, though, after salvation seem to still have a hard time trusting in God. I've watched it my whole life. I've been a product of it. You get saved and you get all excited. You trust in God. You're going to be sold out to the kingdom. You're going to serve. You're going to, it's going to be an attitude adjustment and you're going to do this, that, and the other. And then before long, you just start watching this person who I'm talking about is me. And before long, church wasn't a priority. Things that you should have been doing in life were not a priority. And the next thing you know, people are looking at my life saying, man, they kind of lost the excitement that they once walked in. Everybody here can probably point their finger at somebody, maybe it's somebody that's not here right now, that you saw that in. But I want to encourage you, maybe point it to yourself and and see when, when, when was it that I was that person or am I now? Can I be trusted? Do I have my trust in the right place? Because what happens is when we lose our trust in people and in institutions, then we are seen by others as wishy-washy and we're not attractive to the kingdom. If all you do is talk about how you can't trust anybody and you don't either preface that or follow it up with, but you can trust God, you're communicating to everybody that God's not trustworthy. Now think about that. When all you talk about is you can't trust anybody, and you never talked about a trust in God, what did you just say? Anybody includes God. You can't trust anything. So therefore, why go to church? Because you can't trust church. You can't trust people in the church. You can't. Why trust it? If you start talking about in life and your post on Facebook, you just can't trust, you'll find real quick that you're leading people away from God, not towards him. That's why we got to talk about this today. After the Civil War, slaves were given their freedom, but it took them generations to live free. It took them a long time to trust that they were really free. The sad thing is people get saved and it takes them a long time to live like they're actually free from sin. They still dabble in it. They still, well, maybe they're okay for a short time, but then I watch them kind of drift. And they're really not. Boy, there was a time where Sundays and Wednesdays and every time the church doors were open, it was important. If there was a women's conference, you can bet I'll be there. But not now. I've got other things that, okay, well, I just don't trust that the people that are speaking there, all the people that are speaking in the women's conference are from this church. Pastor, really, you putting guilt on us? for Yeah, I am. So anyway, <laughs> you get saved and you have a different lifestyle available ahead of you. Available. A lot of people have things available that they don't take hold of. 
but you have a different lifestyle available, and you've always lived before salvation according to the flesh. Your mind was programmed to the sinful nature. The, the new ways of thinking are not always a part of your life immediately upon salvation, but there's new availability. There's a new way that you can think. You, you have something available you never had available before, but you have a part in it. Once again, if you missed Tim Brooks' message, it's already been mentioned today, you want to listen to God's part, your part, your part, God's part. It's important to understand that. You know, in our government, it's been very sad to watch what is going on. Moral failure, debt limit. I, I, I just, I've watched over the last 20 years our debt limit not just kind of go like this. It's just went like this. And we have to keep raising the debt limit. And the reason why we have to keep raising it is because if we don't raise the debt limit, then the whole government will shut down. Okay, so it's better to, <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked, but you see what I'm, we, we just keep doing this and we're watching all this happen and, and, and we're trying to be not in debt, we're trying to spend correctly, but yet our governments go over here, well, if we can't trust them to spend money correctly, who are we supposed to trust? It just continually hits us like, what are we doing? And before long, you don't even realize it. But because you trust nothing else, you don't trust God either. It just gets to be where we're at. And our problem is we allow our trust to get taken off of God, and then we're in big trouble. And we're in, we're in this crisis, and we have no idea how we got in this crisis. And I can tell you every time it's because you lost your trust and faith in God. Every time. When you have a trust and faith in God, I don't care where you're at, you're not in a crisis. Well, well, Pastor, really, you're saying I'm not in a crisis. What I'm saying is if your trust, your hope, your faith is in God to deliver you, then you may be in a boat that's kind of weirding out right now, but Jesus slept in the boat that was weirding out. See, there's, there's just, we can't be in a storm that our attention stays on the storm unless our trust is in the boat. Yeah. Our problem is we've lost our trust in God. And we have to learn, once again, how to place your trust in God when it seems like everything else in life we have no trust in. So today, I'm going to give you six, six things, six areas that should influence your trust. And as you understand, all six of these are things that influence your trust. They You've got to learn these. Why? Because the enemy knows them, and he's placing all six of these right in front of you, actually five of them, and I'll get to that in a moment. He's placing five of them right in front of you, and he's trying to ruin you not trusting anybody, because if I can get you not to trust anybody, then you won't trust God, yeah. Yeah. which is wrong theology anyway. Right. But the enemy's doing it, yeah. and he's winning. There's no trust. Come on, there's no trust. Everybody has a church, unless you're young, has a church you used to go. If you're over 30, you had a church you used to go to unless you got saved here. you either young or you got saved here. A church I used to go to. More than likely, you lost your trust in the church because of the circumstance. I'm not here to put that down. But you hang out here long enough, and that becomes a pattern in life, and then you lose your, lose your trust here, and you leave. My hope is that you don't trust an institution above trusting God. Yeah. 
And there are times that a trust in God will move you. I get that. So I'm not here to condemn your move. But make sure before you do anything that you have a trust in God. A trust in God will cause you to leave one season into the next and do it correctly. When you leave incorrectly, your trust wasn't in God. It was a no trust in the person or the situation or whatever. And so you leave because your trust was where it shouldn't have been anyway. Your trust needed to be in God. Then you can have a talk, you can visit, you can get things. It may still be better to go on. God's got a call on people's lives, and that's to move them to a different place. Different. I get all of that. But you better not have your priority with trust in the wrong. Are, are you, that's so good, Ashley. All right, six areas that influence our trust. Number one, imaginations. Real teaching message today. Imaginations influence us in where we put our trust. Imaginations. We were created with an imagination. Do you not love young people when they just start imagining? They just, I, I had an imaginary friend growing up. I'll just tell you before my mom does. So anyway, had an imaginary friend growing up. Everybody has this created in them imagination. Now, it's kind of weird when you're 40 and still have that imaginary friend. But I, there's an, an, an imagination that's inside of you. And that imagination will, will be something that allows you to put trust in a certain thing or situation. Now, our imaginations build and grow things in our mind. You've heard this phrase, you've got to conceive it on the inside before you can see it on the outside. There, there's, there's an, you start imagining the power of forming mental images. Before this building was here, I remember walking out the lower building and looking up on this grass pasture with an old bus that sat right about the back row. And I'd look up there where we were having Sunday school in a bus. And I I would look up there and say, boy, it'd be cool if we could have a classroom instead of that bus up there on that hill. And you know, we keep borrowing everybody else's gym. Wouldn't it be cool to have a gym? for our young people to play. See, there was an imagination, and I started dreaming. And then every gym that I would go to, I would dream about. Here's what this one could look like. Imagination's a good thing. Imagination starts allowing you to say, okay, who am I going to trust to make this happen? Well, you got to know if that image was placed there by God or someone or something else. And when you start seeing that your imagination can be used for the kingdom of God, you can start going, wow, I can imagine that. 2 Corinthians 10.5, though, gives us a warning. Casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. All right, so I'm looking at this gym, and I'm thinking about how that could bless our young people, how people will be saved there one day. I start dreaming, and okay, that's to the obedience of Christ, so I'm bringing that captive to the obedience of Christ, and all of a sudden, I can still imagine it. You don't have to stop your imagination. You just have to make sure it's in obedience to Christ. And that will allow you to put your trust in the right place. Come on, we've all been in positions where I just don't know what we're going to do. Maybe you're the boss and you have an employee. And you're trying to imagine them being a perfect employee. 
And so you're imagining. What I can tell you is they have a lot more hope when you believe that they, when you start imagining that they could one day be there because you'll feed into something that you can imagine happening. But when that employee, you're like, I can't imagine him ever being anything but dirt. You might as well go ahead and fire him. Oh. So we've got to get to a place where we can get a God image. God doesn't think that anybody should remain dirt. So when I bring that thought into captivity, are you, I can sit here and expound on this and talk about it because you can apply it to any situation. But when you quit imagining in obedience to Christ, you'll find yourself, life will be turning upside down. I don't know what I'm going to do here. So image, imagining the image that you put in your brain, you have to see yourself somewhere you're not before you will go there. You have to see yourself somewhere where you're not if you're going to go somewhere where you're not. I know that sounds very, well, duh. Yeah, but you might need to get that duh moment and go, yeah, yeah, that's true. See, there's a big influence in your life all based on your imagination. It's building or it's tearing down trust or it's putting your trust in the wrong things or the right things. All right, we got to move on. Number two, goals. Goals. Before you'll have a goal, you have to have an image. So the second thing is a goal will influence where your trust is. A goal will influence where your trust is. You fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you don't have, um, if you missed Melanie's message, uh, just last Wednesday, Wednesday before last, mine was good too, you want to listen to it, but the one before that, she talked a lot about that. You, you got to know where you stand and you've got to be able to stand alone. You've got to be able to make it based on what the kingdom of God says. A lot of this was influenced by that message. I was listening to it while I was riding around on the tractor again yesterday. And I was going, man, the thing that people are missing is trust. And I already had this in my heart to communicate. And I thought, what better than right on the heels of how do you stand? What do you do in life? You've got to have a goal or you'll fall for anything. What's your goal? You have to have correct placement of trust. And you have to have a goal, vision, dream. I'll just put all those together. And they all have to be God-given. A God-given goal, a God vision, a God vision, a God dream. If you have no goal to achieve or obtain the promises of God, then you will have no trust in him to deliver them. We'll say that one more time. If you have no goal to achieve or obtain the promises of God, then you'll have no trust in him to deliver him. So you, if God hasn't placed it in your heart, then you're not going to trust him to deliver it. When it was just you that said, okay, yeah, I'd like that new bass boat. I'd like that new set of golf clubs. What are you going to do with them? Is it going to take you away from your family? Or is it going to produce for you? See, there's, there's nothing wrong with having an image and having a goal to figure out how to get that, but you've got to make sure, once again, that it's going to glorify God. Right. It's got to be a God-given dream, vision, or goal. Jeremiah 29, 11 explains this real well. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you future, to give you hope, we read this and we put it on our walls and we love it and it's a great verse and I'm not here to put the verse down, 
But what I can tell you is that's what God's dream is for you. God has a goal for you. That doesn't mean that you're going to do what's necessary to walk into those things. But he's got it for you. Praise the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11. God has this for me. That's all wonderful. Do you trust him enough to deliver it? And has it become the goals are lining up to get you into place where that's going to happen? Are they God-given? They will either develop your trust or they'll ruin your trust. So whether they're God-given or whether they're self-given, God has a goal and he wants us to get in line with it. You know, unsuccessful people have no goals and they usually accomplish them. Something to think about. Our lives should be fueled by God-given goals. When you get up in the morning, it's because God has given you a goal. My marriage didn't get fixed until I got in line with a goal to get it fixed. And I had to imagine that it could be. I had to set a goal. I had to dream about it. I have to have vision for it. All of those things, and they all had to come under the obedience of Christ so that I checked them out and I continued to walk in. I knew God had a plan for that. He, God doesn't, nowhere in Scripture you find God has a plan for your demise. That's never God's plan. It's for you to have a hope, for you to have a future, for you to be blessed. Number three, spiritual principles influence us in correct trust. When you have the correct principles, let me define principles just real quick, morals, ethics, and values. When your morals, when your morals your ethics and your values are pleasing to God. I can just tell you a lot of people get caught up on this. I'm not here to tell you whether you should smoke, whether you should, whether you should uh, drink, whether you should chew, whether you should, uh, all the things that we kind of get, oh, I don't know if that's okay. Is church okay with that? All I'm telling you is don't worry about that. Get concerned about what God says about it. And when you just ask God, I mean, just imagine you're going to hanging out with him in the afternoon. Come on, you want to chew, God? I had no problem with it for years. And I still don't have a problem when someone does. Pastor, are you kidding me? No, I don't have a problem. It's just I talk about what convicted me, and the more I went forward, and I just realized, okay, God, this is what you laid on my heart. Am I getting on your case? No, I'm just saying ask God. If you're fine with it and God's fine with it, I don't, that doesn't bother me. There are things that my grandkids do that I'm like, I don't do that. I'm an adult. As you mature, there might be a point where you say, you know what, that's I'm probably losing some influence here. But that's not something. There are seasons and times, and, and I'm not here to define what sin is. It's just removal from the presence of God. That's what sin does. And if it's not removing you from the presence of God, it's okay. I will ask you, because God does say this, is it wise? Well, what was the point we were on? Principles. The principle is you chew long enough, and there's a higher chance of something happening, and I started getting concerned about that. I'm just, there's just things in everybody's life that you have to, you have to determine. What, is this wise? I wear clothes when I preach. I don't come up here in a bathing suit. Especially a really, really small one. Well, why? Well, because I'm wise. 
There are other areas that I'm not operating a lot of wisdom in, but preferably I'll grow into that and you pray for me. Because at some point you start realizing that's not wise. It's just not wise. That's not a wise thing to do. It's not wise for Lane to go out on our pool deck because the pool is twice his height without floaties and an adult. But you know what? If you're not watching him, he'll make an unwise move. Well, that's just ignorant. He's young in life. There are young in Christianity. And we're sitting here getting this attitude that there's not young. We're not surprised by anything some of our grandkids do. I'm good. I roll my eyes sometimes, and I think they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that at all. Well, guess what? They're not 18 yet. I had Brooklyn driving yesterday, and I'm telling you, she was able to drive wherever we went. At four years, I'm talking about wherever we went, and she's on a Ranger, but she couldn't reach the pedal, so she was telling Mimi how hard to push the pedal and how soft. She's given direction because she couldn't reach it, and I'm like, why don't she just do it herself? She can drive wherever she wants. She can't reach. She's not tall enough yet. So there's just some things that in life you have to learn. And what I'm telling you is check your morals, check your ethics, check your values. See if they're lining up with what God wants you to be and where he wants you to go. What's happened is in our society is those have declined, therefore trust has declined. And as trust declines, you put no trust in God. And then what happens is we don't have any morals, ethics, and values. Morals, ethics, and values, the principles that you live by, will in some way influence your trust. Are you getting this? All right, Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart. You've, I've hidden your word in my heart. I can tell you an idle mind is a devil's workshop. If you don't have anything to do and you're bored, start listening to a message, start putting on some praise music, start feeding that mind something. Because the more you'll feed your mind, the more what you feed comes out of you, you'll start seeing that. Next thing that you're needing to think about or you're needing to operate in, you have God morals, ethics, and values. When you get too much change given back to you when you gave them 100 and they thought it was a 10, all of a sudden, well, they thought it was 100. You, you gave them a 10 and they thought it was 100 and they're handing you back change. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, I don't know if you realize you just did that. I gave you a 10. I don't need that much back. I'm... What are your morals? What are your values? What are, your... what are they? What's your character? Character is what you do when no one's looking. Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be able. You'll be sure to obey. Everything's written in it. You can't do everything written in it when you don't know what's written in it. You can't do everything. Well, I didn't even know that was in there. Well, that's because you're not reading it enough. Well, I didn't know that was against the law. Were you planning on... I don't know. I just think about these things. Spiritual principles in us should should influence everything we do. The problem is God's people don't have spiritual principles in them. But I can tell you we got enough TikTok telling us how to live. So that starts influencing where we're headed, what we're doing. If you put as much God in you as what you do social media, 
that's be something we'll be harping on forever. And the reason we're harping on it is because it makes a difference in your life. It really does. We're not living by principles of God. And Joshua knew before we enter the promised land, here's what everybody's got to know. This promised land is going to be a good area. It's going to be awesome because God said it was going to be. You better make sure that they're all meditating on the word day in and day out. Because if not, their trust will become in the provision, not in the provider. And that's where we're at right now in our world. Number four, memory influences us, us to trust. Memory causes us to act in a positive way or a negative way. You know, the human mind, let me just give you something that's really profound here. The human mind never forgets anything. And I know, I know, I know that you go, I, Pastor, I forget things all the time. And, and my wife would say, I'm asking her where this is, where that is. It's right where you left it. I hear that all the time. Well, you know, as soon as I go pick it up where I left it, all of a sudden I remember, <laughs> yeah, that was where I left it. Now, had I forgot, I had temporarily forgot. And you can temporarily, temporarily forget something, but the human mind never forgets anything. They don't. Now, now I'm just telling you, it's, there's so many studies on this, and I'm looking at you going, I don't know. Some of you looking at me like, no, nah, I don't know if I believe. I'm just saying your memory is there because when you put it in, it's there. The problem is recalling it. But it got there. It, and sometimes it came in through the eyes, it came in through the ears, and then somehow you think there's a hole right here and it just came right out of it. But no, it got stuck in there. It's just swirling around and you're trying to recall it. You're trying to get it out. Or it went in right here and it went in right here. And you're sitting here going, I can't quit thinking about that, and I need to. Because it's not swirling around anymore. It's just right there on the front of your brain. And you, memory influence us, influences us to trust. 1 John 4, 4. The second part of that says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I just want you to think about this. Are you putting more of God in your memory or are you putting more of the enemies in your memory? That's why for years we were really careful when our kids were young that we were guarding what went in them because we believed that what they saw and what they heard would be swirling around in there and the enemy would do everything to bring it out at the wrong time for their demise. So we made sure the input... To the best of our ability, wasn't swirling around something that would remove them from kingdom thinking. This is really big. But what you put in is going to come out. And when trouble comes, and I, I just, you look back on it and you go, okay, I'm the reason that happened. If you're the reason, it's because of what your input was. The wrong thing came out at the wrong time. I have heard men talk to their wives like their wife was trash. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've seen it, and it gets in there. And if I don't bring something in to be more swirling around in my head, yeah. then that, then what starts coming out in how I talk to my wife. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just, your memory will ruin your trust or it'll bring your trust into a place. What are you feeding yourself? Because what you're feeding yourself becomes what your memory is. What's your program? Number five, habits. We're getting close. Y'all still with me? Habits influence where we put our trust. God did an unbelievable thing when he created us creatures of habit. We can multitask. We can brush our teeth while we're taking a shower. I don't do that, but you could. You can shave two-handed. You can cook more than one thing at a time. We learn to do things, and we've done it long enough, and we don't even... You, you're cooking something, and you've cooked it your whole life. You don't have to go get the directions out. Because habit will know that this is how you cook these cookies. Habit will... I don't have to get direction on every time I fry an egg. Do I want it medium? Do I want it over medium? Do I want it runny? Do I want it scrambled? Uh, oh, I don't know. Let me get back in the book and see exactly how. See, we're creatures of habit, so therefore, we know how to do that, and it's going to be the same thing every time. When you go to a restaurant, it tastes the same way every time. It's because they've habitually made the same hamburger exactly the same way for years. And you don't go there wondering, well, I wonder if it'll be good this time. If you go to any restaurant and you wonder if it's going to be good before long, you're not going anymore. It's a good thing to be habitual. There's good things. You get saved, and here's our problem. We're habitual. The way I entertained on Friday night after salvation needs to change, but the habit is, how do I tell my friends that? How do I quit doing that? This is just what I do. The way I used my phone before salvation, the way I use it now I, I need to quit that. However, I've got a habit. And we are creatures of habit. And the enemy uses that to ruin our trust in God and to put our trust of satisfaction, of the dopamine effect, of all these things that uh, we get this place that our habits send us to a place. When you pick up your phone, are you inclined to open your Bible or are you inclined to open something else? And you might be going, well, he's talking about this with something else. No, I'm talking about whatever something else is. Well, does that mean every time I open my phone, I need to open my Bible? I'm not saying every time, but maybe sometimes. <laughs> Revelation 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to, church, come on, we have to renew our mind. Ephesians talks about the washing of the mind with the word. You, you've got to know that habits are all based on how you think, what's going in your mind, and what has went in, and then you've just done over and over. And now you've done it over and over again. You don't even have to think about it. That's just what you do. You probably don't have to think about getting ready. Okay, I need a list of everything I need to do. Nobody asks you if you've brushed your teeth. Parents ask their kids that because they're trying to get them in a habit of brushing their teeth. If you're an adult and don't brush your teeth, you didn't, you, you missed the habit. You need to obtain that. But there's a habit. The devil wants you to not make the things of God habitual. Let me tell you this. The devil, the enemy wants you to not make the things of God habitual. Well, let me tell you, there's not a lot of places that the devil and God are on the same page. But let me also tell you, God doesn't want you to make the things of God habitual. Oh, yeah. wow. Because things that are habit, you don't have to think about. You just do them. And we've got a lot of habitual Christians that have made everything about God habitual 
And God doesn't want it habitual. So the enemy doesn't want you to make the things of God habitual because you might just recognize that what you're doing is what God asked. But when you make it habitual mentally, you're doing what God asked and you're just doing the letter of the law but not the heart. I hope I didn't lose anybody there. But what if you get to a place, and I've just learned this for years, that you have been going to church for years, and then something comes up in your life, and you just kept going to church, and you're thinking, I'm doing everything God asked me to do, and nothing's happening here. That's because you don't converse habitually. To be in a conversation, you have to think. See, I can't go to staff meeting on Monday mornings, and it's just a habit of being in staff meetings, and I don't have to think. And so when they ask a question, I say, yep, yep. I'm in the habit of just saying yes. Yep, yep. we got parents that get into the habit of saying yes. Yep, not even thinking about what they just said yes to. Yes, yes. See, there are certain things habitual can get you in trouble. But there are other things that habit is a good thing. So God made us creatures of habit, but he didn't want you to get habitual about your prayer life. Well, I pray every Sunday morning when we come up for the offering. Yeah, and you say the same thing every week and your prayers have just become like a clinging symbol. Same thing all the time, just different day. Well, the relationship can't be habitual. It has to be fresh and new. Fresh and new. You've heard that term all through Scripture. Fresh and new. Habits will influence you to trust, and they can also put you to a place of not having to think and ruining trust. Do you see that influence? All right, the last one. Some of you are like, finally, we're there. All right, here we go. The last one. And when I said there are five, there are five areas that the enemy's using as a tool, but this sixth one he doesn't have any control over. And if you're not using this sixth reason for influence, you're missing it. And I'll just give you his name, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit influences us to trust, but only if you're enjoying and meditating and spending time with the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16 I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and he will be inside of you. He's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. And so he's talking to the apostles, he's talking to them, and he's saying, I just want you to know it's going to get even better for you. It's, life's going to be great because the Holy Spirit will influence you to have trust in me. Jesus is telling them, I just want you to know, you can trust me. Why? Because I'm not leaving you like an orphan, like you don't have anybody to trust in. Orphans don't trust anyone. The biggest part of an orphan being adopted, I mean, when they had orphanages and they're still in third world countries, and I've talked to Alvin about it a hundred times when we've been over there and visited the orphanages, he's just said the biggest problem with an orphan is they don't put trust in anyone or anything, therefore it's hard for us to ever introduce them to God. How can we trust God? How can we trust God? We can't trust people. Once again, that's reverse theology, but that's the enemy's tool. 
And so they, they just have a real problem with that. Well, Jesus himself said, hey, I'm not leaving you all as orphans. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is my ministry. It's who I am. And we know that God does, and we know that Jesus is doing, but so oftentimes we forget the God, Holy Spirit. We just, we're, it's, he, Francis Chan says, and has a book about it, that he's the forgotten God. The third part of the Trinity. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be for us what we need. And what we need is a trust in God. And what I love is right now, we, we've got so many people that are running to counseling, and I'm all about counseling, but I'm not about a counselor that doesn't get the counsel from the Holy Spirit. See, we're running to a counselor, and what I love is for those that are running to a counselor that's full of the Holy Spirit, when they're running to that, here's what they're getting. They're getting the counsel of the Holy Spirit. What counsel are you giving? Well, that just depends. Have you accessed the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Have you understood that the Holy Spirit can influence your trust? Well, I'm just not trusting. Well, how much are you praying in the Spirit? Well, I didn't even know there, there was a spirit. I didn't know there was a bat. That's what they said in Acts. And that's no big deal. You didn't know, but now you do. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can pray in the Spirit. And as you do, that power comes upon you. I'm just, I can't explain it, but what I'm telling you, the ministry of the Holy Spirit allows you to think right, allows you to operate, allows your trust to be influenced, to be put in the right area. And if you're not enjoying the one tool that the enemy has no access to, you're missing where your trust could be founded. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.